Well, good afternoon. We're uh, first day of March 2024. Coming off the uh, the study in Ephesians, which was kind of exhaustive study, um, maybe for me, maybe not so much for you. I know the last the uh, the last lesson was rather long, but I wanted to to review. Because I think a review is as necessary as an introduction. <clears throat> In uh, seminary, they said, if you want to teach, you do it in three ways. They said, you tell them what you're going to tell them. Then you tell them. And then you tell them what you told them. And of course, the reason for that is, uh, learning is repetition. And if at one time you do the first thing you've ever done badly, well, typically if you pursue that, you get better as it goes. And that's kind of the way the scripture is, is like that as well. I want to talk to you today, today about a couple of contrasting things. And that's love and hate. And uh, we're going to look at, you know, there's uh, people use, use those two words and they have all these images and things come to mind. But uh, we're going to look at stuff from a hopefully a biblical perspective and <clears throat> see where that goes. I hope that your household has been prospered in the interim that you are pursuing the things of the Lord and uh, somehow be edified by the Word of God, whether from this source or other sources. So we have this, this tendency to use the word love in a rather loose context. Uh, this is like, well, I could say I love chocolate ice cream. But, and you get the, you get the drift of that because we use it in the common vernacular on a daily basis. Uh, we're, and we're going to look at that. Um, so if if we use the word love and in that context we use it rather loosely, we see that all things that we might love may not be ultimately good for us. So all types of love are not necessarily good. So we have we also have the tendency to think that all hatred is bad, but such is not the case. And first reference will be in Psalms 97, verse 10. You that love the Lord hate evil. Okay, well, there's the contrast. Loving the Lord, the opposite of love would be hate, and the opposite of the Lord is evil. And it goes on, He preserves the souls of His saints. He delivers them out of the hand of the wicked. And if you do a interesting study of the, the Hebrew and the Greek words for hate, it's not terribly involved. It's pretty short. 
with two exceptions in the Old Testament, every time the word hate is used, it is the same Hebrew word, which means to hate personally, an enemy, a foe, or something that is odious. So, without exception in the New Testament, it is the same Greek word. It is defined as hatred, to detest. It kind of aligns with the, the Old Testament uh, Hebrew definition for the word hate. So it's also interesting to know that in the Greek, there are almost exclusively two words that get translated into the English word love. Almost exclusively, but not 100% of the time. <clears throat> but there, And it's used plenty of times in the New Testament. So without going into detail, I choose rather to show the root of both types of love. In essence, one is typically carnal, the other typically spiritual. So typically, philos, which is one of the Greek words, can have a carnal root. And agape, or its derivatives in its purest form, has a spiritual root. And that's generally speaking. When we come to understand that agape is the word used to describe the sacrificial love of, of God and Christ, then we begin to see it within that context. Now, Samson had a love for women, but that love was ultimately detrimental to him. And, of course, his, his love for women, I think, was more on a... Uh, visual plane. Solomon also had a love for women that was instrumental in his downfall. Uh, the, one of the, the verses regarding that, him and him, speaking of Solomon, did outlandish women cause to sin. Uh, of course, uh, there was obviously some cooperation there from Solomon. <clears throat> so what then sh should we love and what should we hate? Well, let's go back to Psalm 97, verse 10. You that love the Lord hate evil. Okay. Hatred, hating evil does not mean to be ambivalent about it. Okay. As given in the scripture above, we are told that we are to love the Lord and we are to hate evil in all of its forms. So in this, we should also ask for discernment that we might see those things that are evil, that are often disguised as something good and attractive. And a case in point would be the ministers of Satan who are transformed as the ministers of righteousness, as Paul made note of. 
in 2 Corinthians 11.13 in talking about that. He says, For such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into the apostles of Christ. And no marvel for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. Therefore, it is no great thing if his ministers also be transformed as the ministers of righteousness, whose end shall be according to their works. So I think one of the, the, major, the major problems in Christianity today is everybody wants everything to be easy. When we want to follow the path of least resistance. That's not advisable. Uh, so, love, as we use the word today, will typically find its origins within us from one of two sources. It will come from the flesh, the natural man, which is typically stimulated by the senses, or it will come from the Spirit within, which will be prompted by the Holy Spirit. Now, when I say uh, love being stimulated by the senses, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, and those are the three main ones, that's what snared Eve in the garden, and that's what John in First John warns us against. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. And of course, in Galatians, we... We looked at the classic combat that is outlined in, in Galatians 5 in the struggle between the spirit and the flesh. Now, the flesh, the carnal nature, will always act in its own best interests. The spirit will act according to the direction given and will typically be orientated towards the edification of others rather than oneself. Because if you look at the life of Christ, it was a life of sacrifice. And the servant is not greater than his Lord. Now, we are naturally born equipped to act in our own best interest and we can become quite expert at that. The exercise of the spiritual graces from within must be cultivated at the cost of the taming of the flesh and its desires. I'm going to read that to you again. The exercise of the spiritual graces from within must be cultivated at the cost of the taming of the flesh and its desires. The contradiction of these two things, that is the flesh and the spirit, working within the believer, serve to be a vexing problem from a certain perspective. And I'll give you that perspective in Romans 7, Paul in his great dissertation, which a lot of people don't take the time to read and understand, he says in verse 15 of Romans 7, For that which I do, I allow not. 
For what I would, that do I not. But what I hate, that do I. Verse 19 of the same chapter. For the good that I would, I do not. But the evil which I would not, that I do. Now let me hit, hit you up with a hint here. Two times in that dissertation he says, It is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. That's that carnal nature that we're talking about. Now we don't want to miss Paul's statement here. What I hate, that I do. So, it's it's a conundrum for the believer. I understand that. Uh, do you understand also, I want you to understand this, that you are a person of two natures if you're a believer. So the inner man, which is born of God, has not a carnal nature, but a spiritual nature. The outer man, the carnal fleshly man is born biologically and is given that carnal nature uh, at his at his birth or at his conception. Uh, David said he was conceived in iniquity. So Paul presents his dilemma in Romans 7. But he also, in Romans 8, he, he, he gives the answer to it. And obviously, uh, one of the, th let, me, let me clue you in. One of the things you have to keep in mind, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, that which is born of the spirit is spirit. There's no intermingling of the two. Okay? The, the flesh doesn't become spiritual. The spirit the spirit cannot become carnal. And I, I say that on the strength of this. Number one of what Paul said, it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. Was he saying, well, he's not a sinner? That's not exactly what he's saying. But John tells us uh, that the spirit within cannot sin. Okay? So that's the point that Paul brings forth here in Romans 8. And let's, let's start in verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. Now, you know, people will say, well, stop right there. There you go. Okay. Just pay attention to the whole context. Okay. Verse 2. For the law... Of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. Now, that's not the law of your will. It doesn't say anything about your will there. It's the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. That law. That law is not based on you, and it's not based on what you do, and it's not based on what you don't do. It's the law that's, that's based on the holiness and the graciousness and all the attributes of, of God and Jesus Christ. So the, the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. In other words, he cannot be adjudicated as guilty. And it's, it's a judicial aspect. And pay attention here. It's a judicial aspect, not an experiential aspect. 
Because we go back to Romans 7. What I hate, that I do. That's his experience. But he's telling us in verse 2, the law of the spirit of life in Christ has made me free from the law of sin and death. So keep it in mind, there's two different aspects of this, judicially and experientially. Verse 3 of Romans 8, for what the law could not do, and he's go back to the Old Testament here, in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, condemned sin in the flesh, okay, in his flesh. And read Romans 6. Uh, start off right there, and it'll help you out with this, but Romans 8, 4, that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. Because they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh. They after the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Okay, well, which, let's say these two items are on your menu. Death or life and peace. Death, just stay in your carnal self and you'll get that. Spiritually minded brings you to life and peace. Now, verse 7, the carnal mind, because the carnal mind is enmity against God. It is against God. It is not subject to the law of God. Neither indeed can be. You were not graciously inclined to the truth. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God. You had to be quickened before you had ears to hear. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God. The natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. Romans 8.8 So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. Verse 9, but you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if so be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. Okay, so people say, well, that day I was walking in the flesh. Okay, what's verse 9 say? You are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if so be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. Now, the Spirit, once he sets up tent in your soul and your spirit, he doesn't leave. You can't drive God out. You cannot drive omnipotence out, regardless of how you think. You can't drive omnipotence out. If the Spirit of God dwell in you, you are in the Spirit. Okay? You're not in the flesh. So when that, and this is a distinctive dividing line. And he goes on to say, now, if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he's none of his. So the definitive dividing line is the Spirit of Christ. And again, going back to Romans 6 and reading that would help you probably a great deal. And then in, in Romans 8.10, he says, if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin. See, he makes this distinction again. But the Spirit is life because of righteousness. So... Your carnal body is the earthen vessel that God puts this treasure in. 
If Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness, and that righteousness does not come from you. You are not the source of righteousness in your carnal in your carnal body. There's no way that you can be. Now, <clears throat> let, let me point out some uh, a distinctive difference when we're talking about the flesh or the the carnal nature. There's a difference between maintaining the flesh purely in the sense of the stewardship of our body. In that sense, there's a difference between maintaining it and indulging our flesh in the sense of the sensual delights or other pursuits. So a lot of times uh, I got some kind of exotic leukemia, but uh, sometimes... I don't feel like eating, but I eat anyway because of the maintenance aspect. I've got this thing that God gave me, and it's called my body, and I need to maintain it, but I don't need to indulge it. Make that distinction in your mind, okay? So we maintain our flesh so we can be used of God for his purposes and for the edification of his people. And then the flip side is we indulge ourselves when we grant to the body and to the senses what they crave, which is often detrimental, ultimately, to the well-being of both body and spirit. So make that distinction between maintaining the flesh from the point of stewardship and indulging the flesh with regard to sensual delights and other pursuits. Now, Paul spoke of this maintenance of the body from the standpoint of it being the temple of the Holy Spirit and the fact that we were not our own, but bought with a price and are instructed to glorify God in our bodies and our spirits, which are God's. Proverbs 8.13 The fear of the Lord is to hate evil, pride, and arrogancy, and the evil way, and the perverse mouth, do I hate. The fear of the Lord, which is the beginning of wisdom, the beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord, is to hate evil, hate bad, hate the things that are bad. Now, I would take this to mean evil in all its forms. Well, what does evil look like? Its manifestation is badness, but it's often cloaked in finery and flattery. It often comes well-dressed and attractive and, and very appealing to the lust of the eyes. And often in flattery, they will, they will boost you up. They will flatter you in order so that they may use you and ultimately defeat you. 
Now, Proverbs tells us that there are certain things the Lord himself hates. And you want to pay attention. Proverbs 6, 16 through 19. These six things doth the Lord hate, yea, seven are an abomination unto him. A proud look, or a haughty look. A lying tongue. Hands that shed innocent blood. A heart that devises wicked imaginations. Feet that be swift in running to mischief. Now, in verse 19, there's going to be a subtle shift, and if you're not paying attention, you're going to miss it. The prior verses talked about specific deeds. Verse 19 talks about specific people. Pay attention to that. Verse 19 says, These six seven things are an abomination unto him of false witness that speaketh lies. So he's not saying, he's not talking about the lies, which goes hand in hand with what's in verse 17, a lying tongue. But he also hates the one who bears the lie, the false witness that speaks lies. And he also hates he that sows discord among the brethren. He doesn't doesn't just hate the discord. He hates he that sows it. And I always make that distinction because people say, well, they're things. No, they're not. The last two are people. They're persons. You know, I thought God loves everybody. And you can't you can't be a serious Bible student and look at and and look at the scripture and validate that statement. It's just not there. The five cities of the plain, among them Sodom and Gomorrah, for one, uh, the the flood, and the the antediluvians, those who lived before the flood and who were alive when the flood happened. So, kind of cut that out of your mind. Uh, I think one of the main failings of contemporary Christianity is the failure to identify evil and its ramifications. We, We were instructed in Ephesians to expose evil and those things that are done in the darkness. Remember, we looked at that in... uh, Ephesians 5, 8, and, and Paul recounts that to the Ephesians. says, you were, you were sometimes darkness, but now are you light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. Illuminate the stuff around you. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness and righteousness and truth. And you start illuminating the evil, you... you you're going to poke your head up above the horizon and you're going to make a target out of yourself, but that's okay. 5.10 in Ephesians, proving what is acceptable unto the Lord. 
and have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them or expose them. Have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them, because it's a shame even to speak of those things which are done of them in secret. But all things that are reproved are made manifest by the light, because whatsoever does make manifest, whatsoever exposes, is light. Wherefore he says, Awake you who are sleeping and arise from the dead, and Christ shall give thee light. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. The second aspect to Proverbs 8.13 is that uh, the pride, this talking about the seven things the Lord hates, that pride and arrogancy Arrogancy is pomp and majesty. Yeah, but part of this, the part of the thing for Christians is this: the light exposes the evil. It exposes the fantasy, the illusion. So the second aspect of Proverbs 8.13 is that pride, arrogancy, the evil path, and the perverse tongue is hated by the Lord. The conclusion being that none of God's people ought to be guilty of these things. I'm going to uh, give you a scripture out of Amos 5.14 and 15. Seek good and not evil that you may live. And so the Lord, the God of hosts, shall be with you as you have spoken. Hate the evil and love the good. Hate the evil and love the good and establish judgment in the gate. It may be that the Lord God of hosts will be gracious unto the remnant of Joseph. And you consider the message of Amos is given kind of at a time of political stability in Israel. Amos reveals the spiritual corruption under the religious formalism and material prosperity in Israel at the time. I've said for a number of years that the problem with American believers quote, Christians, is they suffer from a, a disease called affluency. Affluency, they're too affluent. So this was, this was kind of the idea, this material prosperity in Israel, and this is what Amos is talking about. 
And look look at this other parallel here. It's at the time of Amos saw corruption and exploitation in high places where the common man was being downtrodden and his humanity depreciated. Amos held to the idea that because Israel was the covenant people of God, that they were obligated to uphold the principles and teaching of God. And that's a right thing to think. Because if the covenant people don't represent God before men, who is going to? The idea that those who have been given much, much will be required. Some things obviously in common with us today, to be sure. Seek good, not evil. Hate the evil and love the good. All systems derived by man neglect to consider, to any length anyway, the self-centered nature of man himself. Indeed, our biggest struggle as individual Christians is not outside of ourselves, it is within ourselves. Love the proper things. Hate the proper things, as defined in Scripture. Hate evil in all of its forms and ramification. Listen, everything comes from something. All things at their root are either good or they are evil. And that's, that's listed throughout the scripture, the, the parable of the wheat and the tares. Uh, and tares are the children of the wicked one. The wheat are the... the 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 children of the kingdom. Now, if you don't have the ability to discern the difference between uh, evil and good, then you will suffer at the hands and intent of the evil until you can see it for what it is. Proverbs one twenty. We'll look at verse 20, 21, and 22. Wisdom cries outside. She's uttering her voice in the streets. She cries in the chief place of concourse, in the openings of the gates. In the city she uttereth her words, saying, How long, you simple ones, will you love simplicity? And the scorners delight in their scorning, and fools hate knowledge. It's like an agnostic. Fools are talking about fools hating knowledge. So the A, the A in the Greek or the English, either one. Is is get put before a regular word to to say to show you that it's going to be the opposite, okay? Agnostic, so you drop the a, then you have gnosticism, which is the root, the root word of gnosis, which means knowledge. They hate knowledge. Same with an atheist. 
Atheists say they don't believe in God. Well, how can you hate that which you don't believe exists? So there's obviously a lot of disconnect between people identifying and how they identify themselves. Uh, me, I just, if you have opportunity to back them up, back them up. You know, you, you get to learn the definition of words. You get to understand where they come from, what their roots the roots are, and that's etymology. And the, the prefixes and the suffixes, and they all mean something. In Hebrews 5.14, strong meat belongs to them that are of full age, even those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. So you exercise your your uh, discernment. You exercise your senses to discern both good and evil by reason of use. So sometimes what you need to do is just step back and look at something. And if you don't step far enough back, well, step back further and look at it. Where does this come from? What is the purpose of it? What is the end of it? Think that stuff through. So, my closing thought for you is this. May God grant you the wisdom to recognize those things that are distractions, which divert your attention and your energies away from the Word of God and the strong meat that is contained therein which equips us to discern the difference between good and evil. And when I, when I reference that Hebrews 5.14, uh, the writer of Hebrews was rebuking them because they were still drinking or sucking, sucking uh, the bottle, the milk bottle, uh, and, and drinking milk rather than eating meat. That's why it says strong meat belongs to them who are full age. Okay, so may God grant you the wisdom to recognize those things that are distractions. What's distracting you? Where does it come from? What's its purpose? What's its end? And what happens is they divert your attention and your energies away from the Word of God. Thy word have I hid in mine heart that I might not sin against you. So you study the word, put it in there, and you don't have to read it. A lot of times it'll just be like it does in my mind. It's just kind of ricocheting off the the interior of your mind and your brain and, and uh, waiting for you to grab hold of it and do some meditating on it. And then he said, uh, strong meat belongs to them which are of full age. And the strong meat will equip equip us to discern the differences between good and evil. It's love and hate. Love and hate, good and evil. There's I call it definition by contrast. Everything, typically everything, whatever whatever good this uh, might 
whatever good wisdom might come out of my mouth as almost a 74-year-old is this. Be sober. Be watchful. Be aware. Because your adversary, the devil, listen, if you're a believer, he's your enemy. As a roaring lion walketh about, seeking whom he may devour. I like in Revelation uh, when there was no no one that in in heaven worthy to to take the book and to open the seals thereof. I like it says. Uh, the Lord steps forth, and the angel I think says, "Behold." The lion of the tribe of Judah hath prevailed to open the book. And John says, And I looked, and I beheld a lamb as he stood without spot and without blemish. That the the type of the Passover lamb was obviously something that Israel had to reflect upon for all of their history. And Jesus is both of those things, by the way. So when you think about, and I want I want you to encourage you, don't look at things too closely, start stepping back and, and looking at, even a lot of these, in a lot of these days, you get ramped up on, a lot of different things. I know I do. So what I do is I make myself step back. I say, God's still on his throne. God will punish evil and reward the righteous. It's going to happen. So equip yourselves. Be strong. Be of good courage. Be in prayer and fellowship. As much as you can, as much as lies in you, cultivate those spiritual graces that you have to the glory of God and the edification of your inner man. That's the reason why I share the word with you. I hope that it has profited you today. Thank you for being with us today.